All right, everyone. Welcome to another episode of Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. I'm Bob. And I'm Jack. And we appreciate you being here. You know, we were going to have a lot of smack talk uh, in this episode because we had two guests. One of them was a member of the Ohio uh, House Cabal that engaged in the steel of the uh, the Speaker Steel of twenty three and what what else you call it, Jack? The the coup, coup of twenty two yeah. uh, that drove yeah. the Speaker Steel of twenty three. There you go. That's a good way to say it. We were going to talk to uh, Jay Edwards, who was a part of that, and Jay Edwards apparently got cold feet. Uh, has no connection. I don't know what the reason is, but we're not going to be able to talk smack with Jay and get him to explain what the hell's going on in the Ohio House of Representatives. So we are going to talk with another guest. And Jack Windsor, before we get into the meat of all of that, uh, Mm -hmm. how did we get here today? Well, today's episode is brought to you by the Freedom Foundation. Now, remember the Freedom Foundation, they created optouttoday.com. That is the number one tool to free government employees from union bondage. So if you go to freedomfoundation.com, you can learn more. And while you're there, you can also make a 501c3 tax deductible contribution. And if you put talking smack in the notes, they'll double your give. So thank you to the Freedom Foundation for making this episode and all of our episodes possible. That is outstanding. And yes, indeed, thank you to that fantastic organization. If you'd like to reach us, by the way, uh, take a look at the uh, screen and you'll see our Twitter handles, uh, Facebook pages, and you can find us and uh, send a message if you would like to join uh, and help us spread the word, the uh, word that we are trying to get out there to everyone in Ohio and really everyone in America, because some of the stuff that we talk about really is uh, uh, is you know able to be transitioned all over the place. But it's important. And if you'd like to uh, sponsor this uh, podcast, we would certainly love to talk to you about it. So, Jack J. Edwards didn't make it, but we're going to have to uh, recap a little bit uh, of w- about what went down yesterday uh, at the uh, state uh, meeting, uh, the, the uh, state house meeting, I should say, in which the rules package was uh, adopted. Mm-hmm. It was supposed to have been done back on January 3rd. We covered most of this earlier this week in our other one, uh, but we didn't expect it to be the dramatic blank show that it ter- turned out to be, did we? No, we really didn't. Um particularly when I talked with several of the members of the uh, coup of 22 uh, or the gang of 22 uh, as they've been affectionately or disaffectionately called, if that's a word uh, by uh, Derek Maron supporters. When I talked with them out of the gate, the primary thing I heard was that Derek Maron is not a leader. Derek Maron uh, is, is not going to play well with others. Um, Derek Maron is not going to unite the party. And uh, I would recommend everybody that's watching this to go to the Ohio channel. Uh, (laughs) They have archives and you can watch uh, what is a crap show in the Ohio House yesterday. Why do I say that? Um, That is an opinion, but it's one that I'm going to stand by. I've never seen anything like it, Bob. Um, If 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 unity and uh, teamwork and leadership is what they were after, what I saw yesterday was a speaker who took the gavel and refused to listen to 35 to 45 members of his own party, which is a majority, who tried to make amendments to rules, who tried to offer up uh, alternatives to the leaders that he selected. And uh, really, it was, uh, I've I've never seen a Democrat get treated the way that Republicans were treated by a Republican (laughs) speaker yesterday. Uh, It was was a piece of work. Yeah, that's why uh, one representative in that group that I spoke with earlier today um, recommended that uh, Jason Stevens resign. 
resign as speaker. It got that bad just on day one of passing the rules, assigning the committee chairs, and so on and so forth. So Jay Edwards was going to come on and defend his role in all of that. He's not here for whatever reason. However, we do have a guest who is here. And we're going to be yes. talking about a different subject. And I want to get into a couple of things to lead into the conversation we're going to have about, I'll just tease you with this much of it, social emotional learning. A lot of people don't know what that means, but uh, our guest does. She wrote a very extensive four-part series on this uh, that, of course, you can read right now in the Ohio Press Network if you are a subscriber. So, Jack, just a couple of things, because mm -hmm. SEL is, is one of the... Um, it's one of the evil acronyms, if you will, that is, uh, in, in the view of many, it's evil, that is being pushed on kids in schools, along with things like CRT, you know, critical theory, not, not just race, but critical theory, as well as, uh, of course, uh, uh, CSE, comprehensive sex education. Social emotional learning is a very, very divisive and dangerous concept that a lot of people don't think has anywhere, uh, has any uh, business being anywhere near schools. So we're going to talk to uh, the writer and reporter about that in a moment. But we have a couple of school stories to kind of set the table with here. Your own daughter goes to a school district or is a student in a school district that has been the subject of much speculation, much investigation, and much criticism for some of the things that they allow in the curriculum and in the in the halls and in the uh, essentially the uh, the atmosphere, if you will, of the schools. And uh, there was a huge change announced just earlier today, Jack, and you know more about it than anybody. Tell us. Yeah, so we at the Ohio Press Network, we wrote an investigative piece a couple of months back, and we looked at several district, districts around the entire state of Ohio. And we looked at Olentangy Local School District because they were the fourth largest school district in the state of Ohio. And, you know, the simple question we asked was, do parents really know what's being taught to their kids? And do they understand what's being hidden from them in schools? And, and I'm not going to go through the whole laundry list of what we discovered, but Olentangy was in that report. Um, we wrote a separate story about girls who went home to their mom and told about a boy who came into the bathroom. Um, and what ended up happening was very little. Uh, the girls uh, are, if they're uncomfortable, they can go to another bathroom, they were told. And parents were not told ahead of time that uh, biological boys were going to be allowed in uh, the restroom with biological girls. And uh, I started a, an investigation into the superintendent, looking back at his performance reviews um, since he uh, has been the superintendent of the district. Um, we talked with several parents about uh, their allegations of uh, what they would call activism going on in the schools, political activism, particularly with everything you just talked about, CRT, SEL, uh, DIE, diversity, inclusion, and equity, uh, you know, LGBTQ, you name it. Um, a lot of it was going on and uh, some of it probably in proper ways. Some parents felt that some of it was improper, but all of that to say this, um, we were doing some things behind the curtain and really have not released anything yet. But uh, Superintendent Mark Rafe resigned today, actually didn't resign. Uh, he, he announced his retirement effective uh, July 31st. At the end of this school year, at the end at of the his end current of his contract, year. I guess it That's would right. be probably. That's right. Um, and so, you know, uh, look, I, I don't <laughs> I. I was really unimpressed with Mark Rafe, if I'm just going to speak very candidly, in how he addressed uh, concerned parents at some board meetings. Um, he spoke with arrogance. He spoke with a chip on his shoulder. And he spoke as if he understood things that parents don't. As a parent of a daughter in that district, uh, I take offense to that. Uh, I'm, I'm really open-minded. I can consider other people, but essentially when I have an administrator telling me that I'm dumb and, and not really understanding what's going on. And, you know, we had a nice text well, this exchange is at one point uh, when they tried to make sure that 
students were wearing masks when we had already uncovered that masks not only didn't work, but they caused health issues. So I'm going back uh, probably uh, based on emotion on some conversations I had with them. Um, but Mark Rafe's out at the end of this year and uh, adios, amigo. Yeah, well, you know what? I, uh, I'd i be outraged for you. Uh, I don't have a child in the district like you do, but I'm outraged for you and yours because I can tell you how I would have taken that. And, you know, it's par for the course, sadly, because if you look at many other school districts, not just in Ohio, but around the country, they're talking about protecting kids. Mm -hmm. This is the angle that they take. This is the, the language and the narrative that they have. Oh, look, we here at blank blank school district are looking out for the, the best interests of our students. And sometimes our students need to be protected. And this is where the line gets really, really, really stark you betcha they say it's because they need to be protected sometimes from their parents mm -hmm. that's why they do what they do it's not about protecting the kids against other kids and about talk and about you know so, uh, social issues uh, amongst themselves or ostracization or any of those kind of things that we need to protect them from their parents who just don't understand about those kind of things that we can talk to the kids about on a much closer and more honest level. So that to me sounds like what Olentangy was all about and maybe is still all about. We'll see what kind of a, uh, an impact the announced resignation of that superintendent has. So that's a big deal. And then Jack, one other quick story before you bring in your guest, because it does tie all, it does tie all into education in a manner of speaking. You have another article right now in the Ohio Press Network about CRT in Cincinnati mm -hmm. schools. And once again, it's not right. the subject matter that is as damning, if you will, and is infuriating for parents like you and me and, and maybe the parents in Cincinnati. It's not even just that, which is terrible, that divisive critical theory, which is rooted in Marxism. Mm -hmm. It's not just that. It is the fact that parents aren't allowed to know the cover-up is always worse than the crime, and they are co they covered it up, and it wasn't until a you know hidden camera, a hidden microphone kind of thing caught them admitting uh, to the fact that they do sneak this into the curriculum or sneak this into the indoctrination, if you will, of the kids. You want to give us a summary of that one? Yeah, so this is a uh, part two, I think, in a three or four part series uh, that relates to Ohio. <clears throat> if you remember last week we published the story, um, Accuracy in Media did an undercover investigation in Columbus schools. And uh, this week it was Cincinnati. Mm -hmm. And according to Dave uh, Traubert, social studies curriculum manager for Cincinnati city schools, uh, whatever perspective laws there may be, uh, they'll continue to teach what they see fit. He said, quote, should I stay in my position if the this law CRT ban goes through, heaven forbid, we would be covert in our language, Traubert said. Now, I'm not going to go into, there are several other schools, Wyoming, Cincinnati, Wyoming, Mason, and, and uh, I believe one other. But the crux of it is exactly what you said. It's kind of like pushing, uh, if you ever seen one of those, um, you know, uh, beach balls, you push, you ever push one down in a swimming pool, it like pops up somewhere else. Well, if you, if you push down CRT, it just appears over here under, you know, a different language or in a different program. And that's essentially what these schools have admitted to and what they're saying. And this is the, this is the real issue. The Supreme court has said that parents have the right to control the upbringing and the education of their kids. And now I cannot believe that we needed a Supreme court decision to tell us that. Well, I mean, seriously, is there anything more insulting than the notion that we have to fight for the right to say we will decide how our kids are raised? You know, again, every parent can't do calculus. So we hire a teacher to teach them calculus or algebra or maybe even remedial math. I don't care. Not everybody can analyze and interpret English literature. So we hire a teacher to do that. We do not hire teachers to raise 
our children. And what's going on in these schools, which we are finding out, they are indeed substituting their judgment for our judgment and not even giving us a fighting chance to compete with our kid, uh, you know, uh, with them uh, in, in talking to our kids about these things because they don't want us even to know that it's happening. Yeah. And, you know, I think the dangerous thing, Bob, is that they use really nice sounding words, diversity, <clears throat> inclusion, equity, which, by the way, I don't like equity. I like equality. Equality is a God-given right. And uh, people mistake the equality of opportunity with equality of outcome. And that's just not how it works. Um, but I digress. So, But they use nice words like diversity, inclusion, and equity. And, and you know, the, the real big umbrella where a lot of this came in is, is what they call the whole child concept. Doesn't that sound great that, you know, we're going to consider the whole child? Well, it's great unless you are uh, the holder of beliefs and practices that are opposite those of the institution that wants to yep. raise your child. And that's really where we are. And that's where we're going to get into um, some social emotional learning. And uh, I think that's let's why do that right now. I think it's time. Yeah, I think it's time. Let's introduce. Fantastic. Yeah, let's introduce our guest, Jack. Yeah. So Lisa Logan, she has contributed as a writer to the Ohio Press Network. She is the host of uh, a YouTube channel called Parents of Patriots and an author of a Substack uh, entitled Education Man Manifesto. She is a wife, a mother, a patriot, um, and she's made it her mission to exposed, expose, excuse me, the sinister agenda behind social emotional learning programs to save our children and frankly, the future of our country in her words. Uh, Lisa, welcome. It's fantastic to have you here on Talking Smack with Bob and Jack. Well, thank you so much for having me, Jack and Bob. <laughs> <laughs> so, so let me just uh, jump in here. We've got a few questions. We've kind of prepared to, to talk about this because if we don't do it in some sort of a, uh, an order, um, we could be here for weeks because you have so much content. No, I mean, seriously, mm -hmm. so much information and so much content in this four-part series that we, people can read right now at the Ohio Press Network. We want to try to obviously kind of scale that down a little bit and uh, give people the digestible version of it. So your first article talks about pluralism. Jack and I were just talking about this earlier today when we were planning to have you on and uh, and how, you know, this country was almost essentially founded on pluralism uh, when it comes to religion, but how social emotional learning is a tool to push religious pluralism. Uh, and how is that push different from what the United States was kind of kind of built upon? Right. Well, when our country was founded, I mean, they had a hodgepodge of spiritual beliefs to deal with. Right. I mean, they, they brought together a bunch of different people kind of had a different idea about the nature and destiny of man, which are rooted in religion. And so they're like, well, how are we going to get these people to agree and found this country and work together? And their solution was the Constitution. And our founding fathers knew that would be best, right? Because then we could be governed by the rule of law. And that rule of law could then respect all of those religious beliefs and then give them opportunities, different groups to participate in the um, governmental process by electing leaders that we have to represent us. And so those worldviews could be represented and their um, beliefs and values could be represented, right? And so we can kind of live in harmony and agree to disagree on things and, uh, you know, push our country uh, forward as a nation um, so we could establish prosperity. But their definition now of pluralism is not the same. Uh, their definitionism is not based on a constitutional republic. It's based on a democracy. And a democracy is mob rule. Um, and a lot of times mob rule 
uh, really explain that, Lisa. Is, can I can I yeah. can I jump uh, in for a second? Collective beliefs, right? That the collective good instead of uh, really respecting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, there may be a delay here, and it yep. may be sure. have to do with the signal, so I apologize. I just want you to hit Republican democracy a little bit more. There are a lot of people who do not understand that. Okay. They say, hey, look, we live in a democratic yeah. republic, so we're equal parts democracy and republic. That is not what that means. Uh, there is a very, very stark difference between a republic and democracy, and I think you started on it by saying mob rule. Can you go deeper there? Right. Well, um, and really goes back to how how do we vote? Right. Have elected rep representatives that we put into office uh, and those representatives then uh, go to Washington and say, well, these are my the people that uh, elected me and I'm representing their beliefs and values and I'm going to vote. Uh, that way. And so a lot of these individual beliefs can be represented. But in a democracy, it's just, uh, for instance, like it would be the popular vote, right? Everyone just kind of comes together and um, decide what the main uh, focus is going to be in the country without any regard to individual beliefs, but only caring about the collective. Did I explain that better? I don't know. <laughs> yeah, I think, no, I I think, think that's fantastic. Was great. Yeah, if you want to pick it up, go ahead. Yeah, I was just going to say, and I think, you know, the other part of that is, you know, uh, Ohio is different than Utah. Ohio is different than California. California is different than New York. Well, in some ways, but um, <laughs> so certainly the way that we that we govern people, there are certain fundamental things, um, but there are also things that don't apply here that would apply in other places and, and so on and so forth. So uh, but fundamentally, you're, you're spot on. It's about the. Um, personal agency versus uh, the agency of the collective to basically tell each individual what to do, when to do it, and how to do it. Right. There's no like one established way to think and believe and have a view of the world. Um, so we took you off track there a little bit. You were saying that. Mm -hmm. uh, so the point then is that um, social emotional learning really kind of uh, shovels people toward this idea that, uh, you know, we are in a democracy. It's it's mob rule. So kind of pick up there. Right. And I think you're really spot on when you said that SEL is trying to pull children away from their their parents' worldview. Uh, and, and because, you know, children are born into families, a lot of times there's familial, religious, and cultural beliefs there, and they enter school. But then the school then says, well, guess what? Uh, your version of tolerance isn't okay. It's not okay just to tolerate other people's perspectives. You have to accept them as truth. So if, uh, you know, like you were saying in that situation where uh, your daughter might find a boy in the, the girl's restroom, she has to um, understand that person's perspective and then be resilient, you know, which is the social emotional learning uh, attribute and, and just be okay with it, right? Just that person needs to be understood and 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 be accepted. And and yes, they are a girl, um, even though they have boy parts. So I, that's kind of how they manipulate social emotional learning to then get students to believe a one worldview, right? So they they get them believe believe that everything is a social construct, race, gender, um, sexuality, like uh, so. So then they they start thinking that way, and. They're tolerant of everything, which then pulls them away, possibly from their familial doctrinal beliefs and whatever their religious tradition is. 
Lisa, I feel like we stopped just short of getting to the real, uh, the real push there. It's one thing for the students to have to tolerate. Then you said they make them accept it. And it's more than accept it. What we have found as this has grown, and everybody talks about slippery slopes, and this is why we do, or snowballs picking up speed and size on their way down a hill, because this is what it does. It's no longer just tolerate it, then just, well, accept it. Then it's celebrate it. You have to announce it and shout it out and say, I stand with so-and-so. I stand with Joe, who is a biological male, but if he says he's a girl and wants to use the girl's bathroom, he's a girl and I have to wave the flag or else Mm -hmm. I'm in trouble. In schools, kids are in trouble. Uh, They get ostracized. They get made fun of. They are are the ones who are called bigots and bullies. And if their parents fight back on their behalf, then it's a family full of uh, bigots and bullies. And that's what SEL does. SEL really, really preys on the E, on the emotions of the kid and makes them terrified to say what they really believe. And that even means believing in pure, uh, immutable, uh, unadulterated scientific fact, biological facts are not allowed to be scientific or biological anymore when it's all about social and emotional uh, feelings, is it? No, definitely not. It's not okay. And in fact, they, they say that it's not just enough to not be a racist. Um, they say you have to be an anti-racist. So that means uh, believing that all, all the systems in society are set up to oppress certain groups of people and that you need to tear down those systems and build up new ones in order to make the system more equitable, right? So that could go for race or gender. And so they have to become an ally and a social justice warrior for these particular Mm -hmm. racial and gender causes or, you know, voting causes or whatever it is that is the state sanctioned belief and worldview. You know, your third piece, it, that's the one that really hit me. And I think you kind of got into that a little bit. It's titled uh, Social Emotional Learning, Creating a Nation of Nuns. Tell us what that means. Go a little bit deeper on that. What is that? And we're not talking about nuns like the ones in, in Catholic schools. We're talking about nuns, N-O-N-E-S. Break that one down for us a little bit. Right. Well, that kind of tied into my first piece um, in the four article series and uh, went over how there are really bad actors, including uh, the Fetzer Institute, which interestingly enough, uh, social emotional learning and the organization Castle that pushes it at the state and government level um, and also federal level, uh, they were born out of the Fetzer Institute. And a lot of their beliefs are centered around esoteric religion and mysticism, and they believe in this whole one world religion stuff. And so they convened a bunch of groups together and of different faith uh, traditions and basically had a struggle session. <laughs> like they they uh, wanted to decolonize and de-institutionalize religion. So they basically DEI'd or DIE'd, I prefer DIE, right? Uh, yeah. Religion. And so all of these religions are now operating in such a way as they are have some continuing in their faith tradition. And then they have a whole nother group that split off that are trying to move religions religions away from their center mm-hmm. and social emotional learning ties into this because right because in order to have this mob rule you have to grow the mob and uh so they do this through social emotional learning and they kind of break down those um family beliefs uh again you know pulling them away because if they don't believe in their faith tradition then they kind of believe that everything goes and that makes you a nun right an n-o-n-e uh where there's there's this kind of fluid 
spirituality that is actually based around, you know, kind of esoteric religion, which is Gnosticism, Hermeticism. You know, my friend James Lindsay talks about that stuff a lot. He had a really great, um, I would go over to new discourses and watch WTF is SEL because he really dives into kind of the roots of this stuff. So it is a state sanctioned religion at the end of the day. Uh, they are trying to um, change children's minds, um, kind of get them to think that their families, um, their old antiquated beliefs and, oh, I don't need that in my life. And then pick up this new uh, collective worldview where, again, they're being advocates for um, LGBTQIAism. They're being advocates for um, critical race theory and Black Lives Matter. Um, and that becomes their new religion. So... I'm going to give you an example, and then I want to hear how you've seen it show up because, you know, we're talking at the 30,000 foot level right now, and, mm -hmm. and this gets to be a very complex topic. And I would suggest anyone watching this, go read that four article series that you put out. They can search Lisa Logan on the website and they're right there. Um, but one of the examples that, uh, you know, I give is that I've, I've had one of, actually my daughter, you know, say to me that, um, we celebrate and, and we learn about some of these other religions. And, and when we talk about, she said, when we talk about my God, we talk about Santa Claus and we talk about reindeer. We don't, you know, we don't really talk about that. And I had one other parent say to me, um, and I thought this was really interesting. She was meeting with administrators um, because she was going to uh, potentially move her child into a new school district. And she said, no, do, do you teach religion at all? And she said, oh, yes, yes, yes. We teach all these world religions. And she went through all these lists and she goes, well, what, what about Christianity? Yeah. And she goes, no, no, no. We, we teach the world religions. And she goes, um, Christianity is the largest world religion, essentially, particularly in America, or one of the larger ones, actually. Um, and so what she said, what do you mean? She goes, no, no, that's way too controversial. We don't do that. So um, how does that's how I'm seeing it show up is that, you know, we'll, we'll we, we're diverse and we're inclusive unless you're, you know, part of this Judeo Christian worldview. Are you seeing it show up where you are um, with your kids in, uh, in, in the school systems there? Oh, definitely. And that's the one that they really want to leave out uh, because they believe, uh, and Fetzer even writes this in their Theory of Change document, and I um, included that, they believe it's life-denying um, and bigoted to be a Judeo-Christian um, because we hold too, too, quick, too, too closely to the Bible. And um, that's where it kind of gets really dangerous, right? Because uh, in the second article in the series where I talk about one nation under mob with spirituality and democracy for all, we're seeing uh, rhetoric come out of the Biden administration. They had this huge summit called the United We Stand Summit. And they invited all these interfaith leaders and um, civil society and these um, justice organizations together for this uh big summit. And the talking points were that 90% of uh, hate-fueled violence was committed because of white supremacy, male supremacy, or both. <laughs> and they talked a lot about, for instance, uh, the Sikh Temple shooting, the, um, the Pulse nightclub shooting, etc., but kind of left out um, the mowing down of the Christmas parade people in Waukesha 
um, motivated by black nationalism or the um, Brooklyn shooting in the subway, you know, where the guy shot a bunch of people. And again, it came out that he was a black supremacist. And so they need the, the narrative to be that it's, oh, these white Christian nationalists and it's white people in general, and they're the problem. And, you know, maybe they're just mentally ill and we need to save them. And this is where like SEL programs and in general get really scary, right? Or where they, if they start to say that, hey, you need to be interfaith or you're wrong. Um, mm-hmm. Because if, 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 if that starts to happen, then what, where are we gonna be at? Are we gonna be labeled as a domestic terrorist because you're a Judeo-Christian? Um, will you be silenced? I think that's that's the questions we really should be asking. Well, and even before so we I get ju- there, oh, go ahead, Bob. Um, I just looked it up, um, and Jack, I was surprised to learn that you're right. Um, I thought Hinduism and Islam, just in in terms of sheer numbers, because of the number of people <clears throat> in uh, the largest one of the largest countries in the world in India. Uh, where Hinduism is practiced, I thought it would have been, but no, you were right. Christianity um, is apparently uh, represented by 30% of the global population, a little over 2 billion, um, mm-hmm. Islam by 1.8 billion, roughly, and Hinduism third by 1.1 billion. And I wanted to underscore what you said there, even if those numbers weren't what they are in the United States, it is clearly that way. And the idea, <clears throat> again, that the majority has a target on its back. If you're white, if you're a male, sorry, Lisa, if you're straight, if you are Christian or Judeo-Christian, you are fair game for uh, for discrimination. Uh, they can teach everything except what you are. They can support anything except what you are in any one of those realms, your, se- your sex, your, 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 your uh, uh, religion, or anything else. And that is exactly what CRT te- teaches as well. Uh, that is exactly what SEL teaches. They are literally trying, and DIE, they are literally trying to say that if you are a member of the majority in any of those things, you are you have too much power and we have to take you down. And so young kids are being told, you know, don't, don't get comfortable in the position you're in. Don't get comfortable even with your family traditions because your family is going to have to be broken up here. Uh, family is not what this is all about. Uh, it has led you to being in a patriarchal society where your religion is bigger and better than everybody else's and so on and so forth. And they're literally going to target them. And what are little kids to do? Little kids who are impressionable, preformative minds are going to do exactly what makes people around them happy. Nobody wants to be ostracized. Nobody wants to be bullied. Nobody wants to be picked on. So they say, okay, and they will shrink away from their own selves, including their own faith because that's what they are being directed to do by the social emotional concept here that is being advanced by the state. Uh, and I just find that staggering, uh, the statistic that we just quoted with respect to religion. Lisa? No, definitely. And, and, I, and the other scary part is that they're trying to take that very fundamental uh, role of parents in a child's life, right? We bring them up with uh, having a particular worldview and it's it's part of a culture, right? Like they, they grow up in our family, we 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 pray together, we go to services together, we, we talk about our beliefs together. Uh, and then they, they take that completely out of the family realm and give it to the schools through social emotional learning. And that's not the only service they're gonna take away from us, right? And and this is where it gets into this whole whole child model you were just talking about a second ago, Jack. Um, and it's really whole school, whole child, whole community. And what you'll see now- It takes a village. 
Yeah, it will. And it will be a village. And the school will be the center of the community in this model. And the school, it's actually something that's uh, partnered with the CDC, is partnering with um, the Health and Human Services and Education in every state. And they will start to provide every service for kids. It won't just be hearing and vision anymore. It'll be um, reproductive health. Okay, so you're going to see Planned Parenthood in the schools. Um, they're going to be able to get puberty blockers without per, uh, parental consent. Uh, they're also going to be providing religious services. So that part four, and even in the tweet, uh, when I tweeted it out, um, the people pushing forth this curriculum along with Fetzer, um, and you know they had a whole castle webinar about it. Um, the people pushing forth this SL curriculum that has spirituality at its center is involved with the WISC model. And you will see that be a part of, of the whole services they are offering the whole child. And now I'm going to say something that uh, a lot of the Republicans and, and maybe even conservatives who are watching this that have their heads buried in the sand are going to go, whoa, 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 stop and stop. It's too far. You're, you're wearing a tinfoil hat. But in, in Ohio, um, the governor here has already allocated about $25 million to uh, clinics that will be set up in schools. And uh, he has already gone on record uh, going into his second term saying that essentially um, his focal point is going to be mental wellness, particularly with kids. So here we are. Uh, you know, you can you can make a steak knife with the intent of, you know, cutting a good piece of steak and, and having a good nourishing meal. But, you know, the wrong people get a steak knife in their hands and, and bad things can happen uh, in Ohio. That's my biggest concern. We have money. We have clinics um, and we have some other things going on in the education arena that to me sound a lot like um, the people who know better than parents are going to um, usher kids into these clinics and uh Maybe, frankly, they may not need, even need to usher them in. They may be subtly teaching this so much from such a young age that at some point um, it can be puberty blockers, it can be abortions, it can be well, not even things. not even maybe they're already doing that. That's what Drag Time Story Hour is from preschool ages on up. Preschool ages, this is normal. This is normal. See, they normalize it to make the kids mm -hmm. absolutely follow right in. Sure, why would they think any differently? For crying out loud, mom and dad aren't teaching them anything else because mom and dad don't know that they're being you know exposed this way as it's uh, you know at the at the beginning. So Lisa, the question is, I mean, are you seeing that that's where it's going? But to me, that doesn't seem like the final stop. Where, where does this ultimately go and why? Oh, they, they just want to take kids away from their parents. They want to give kids their own rights, right? So that includes religious rights to, to go do what they want. They want to give them sexual rights. That's through comprehensive sexuality education. Um, and they're going to push this uh, one world view through in the schools uh, and they're gonna use social emotional learning to do it. And I mean, it really is already going that direction. And I, I don't wanna hopefully think about where it's gonna end up, right? Because I mean, look at what happened in Germany in 1939 and you know, kids <laughs> turned in their parents because they didn't have the correct worldview um, that the Third Reich wanted them to have. And I, I hope that we don't get to that point. Well, you know, there's one word that we haven't used in this entire discussion, Lisa, and we really appreciate you being here. We'll let you we'll let you run after this one. Um, Marxism. I mean, this is this is literally and unless you said it and I missed it. And I apologize. We've had a lot of stuff here. <laughs> but Marxism, you know, it literally prescribes um, the destruction of the end of the elimination of the nuclear family. Uh, 
it's just what you said, pulling their kids away from their parents. The nuclear family is where children grow up in young, or excuse me, in a very exclusive, independent, uh, yet tight um, units of consumption, if you will. They are the engine behind capitalism. Uh, and so Marxist ideology is at play here in social and emotional learning. Pulling the kids away from the parents pulls them away from parental influence, pulls them away from parental teaching, parental, parental uh, faith, and, and all of the things that have made, if I, if I may be as bold to say, this civilization, the greatest civilization, and I'm talking about the American civilization that we're fighting to protect in the history of humanity, in the history of humankind. It was built. The, the foundational building block of this civilization is the nuclear family, and it must be destroyed for the village to take over so that the educational system can be the mommy and the government can be the daddy. The government will provide the funds. The government will provide the housing and provide the clothing and so on and so forth. And mommy will provide the education by way of these public schools. So this is Marxism at play in large part, I think. And you can speak to this and tell me whether you agree or not, Lisa. You know, it's, it's, it's a giant step toward globalism. Marxism isn't just national. It is global. Oh, absolutely. And uh, really what we're doing is we're building a red guard, just like what happened in Mao's cultural revolution. Uh, and they're building these these social justice warrior kids to, to really think about global citizenship. And it wouldn't surprise you that UNESCO, who's all for sustainable development goal four, uh, is behind all of this push for social emotional learning as well. Um, and I think I, I do want to highlight one other thing that I think is really important. You asked about where this is going. Uh, they collect data as a part of this social emotional learning, right? So they collect data on the values, attitudes, and beliefs of our kids. And that, that data goes in their data backpack, per se, that follows them from grade to grade, school to school. It goes in the statewide longitudinal data systems. And what's scary about this is that we have aligned our whole education system for kids to go into a workforce that is fueled by environmental, social, and corporate governance scores. The, the, the businesses are already under a social credit system and banks and investors want to business with them if they don't align their thinking and their values and their investments and what they do if they put a black square rainbow flag in their profile picture when they are suggested to, uh, they don't wanna do business with them. And so we're preparing kids to go into that workforce. And I've already seen now that certain groups, even like the Dayhill group, are saying they're gonna hire uh, their candidates based on kids' emotional intelligence, which is measured by these social emotional learning surveys and screeners that the kids take. And so my worry is that if these kids don't adopt the worldview that they're expected to have, the religion they're expected to, to adhere to, that they will be excluded from society. And in the future, and that's that's really scary. Every person, everybody, really concerned about that. It's terrifying, and and I just want to add that parents who are listening to this, and if you're alarmed, um, don't don't just take the word of your administrator or your superintendent or the teacher. If you say, "Hey, are you collecting data points on my kid?" Uh, do a records request because we found schools in Ohio that were flat out lying about it. They absolutely were collecting the information uh, and, and they weren't telling parents where it was being stored. Uh, it was actually being stored uh, in a server owned by a third party um, that the school district really has no control over. So that is terrifying. And you know, when you think about government, whether it's Marxism, uh, communism, which ultimately that's where it all kind of goes, right? Um, you're either mm -hmm. for freedom or you're for control. Uh, but, but it just, it, it, it baffles me. I, I think about the war on drugs. Uh, I think about the war on poverty, and I think about 
a completely dysfunctional, unproductive government that wasted trillions of dollars in both of those initiatives. And now uh, we're supposed to expect that they're going to do a better job of uh, being mom and dad to our kids. Well, l- let's wrap it with this, guys. Um, and Lisa, thank you for coming on with us. Seriously, you and I have spoken on the radio before, but now it's a nice kind of face-to-face via camera. Uh, we'll have to have you back on again soon. But I, I want to say this, and I think you'll both agree with me. Jack, you just said, you know, don't take your superintendent's word for it. Do a records request. Don't take our word for it either. That's you right. may think you may be sitting there watching this podcast or listening to this podcast and say, these tinfoil hat wearing nut jobs yeah. are full of crap. I know they're not doing it. And I'll prove it by going, go, please do prove us wrong. Prove, prove the stuff that we are telling you right now isn't happening in your kid's school. Go find out. And then if yeah. you find out and you, and you get records requests and you find out that none of this stuff is going on here, you could, you see how to contact us on us on the screen, or at least you will at the end of this thing. Uh, you can go to the Ohio press network and find Jack's uh, uh, email address there. Find Lisa's as well. And you know how to find me on the radio, call me and, and, and contact us and tell us we're full of crap. And you proved it. Cause you know what I would love to be. I'd love to be wrong. I would mm-hmm. love to be wrong. And that our kids, Lisa, right. That, that, that our kids are not facing this. Right. And, and Bob, I actually have a whole YouTube channel dedicated to this, that Parents of Patriots. Uh, you can find me there. And it, I really try to walk parents through, like, what is SEL? How is it getting into our schools? How is the system whole set up now around social emotional learning? Uh, so I suggest that parents go there. And I think the, the biggest thing I want to leave your audience with, and especially the parents, is please have dinner with your kids every night talk to them about what they're seeing. Um, The way that you stop kids from becoming N-O-N-E-S's, nuns, is by loving them and uh, being close to them and being a confidant where they know that they can come to you and tell you anything. Uh, So I think parents just have dinner with your kids and be close to them and create the nuclear family that's tight that that they know that they don't want to leave it. You know what? Um, that would be a good place to end, but I'm going to add one more thing and ask both of you, Jack, because I know how old your daughter is. Um, and Lisa, I don't know anything about your children uh, or, or family situation, but I remember very distinctly being the child at that age, how close and how much my parents communicated with my friend's parents. Um, they knew their numbers, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know, from memory, they could call them anytime. And if there was something going on in school, my mother would beep, beep, boop, boop, boop. Hey, Judy, did Rick come home with this today? Did, did they say anything about this in class today? Um, they would communicate, do, do parents of young children today, and my children are 21 and 19. So a little bit off here. Do parents of young children today communicate? Because in addition to having dinner with your kids, as you just said, Lisa, I would say stay in constant contact with other parents. Find out what their kids are telling them, which may be different than what your kids are telling you. And that parental cooperation is extraordinarily important. I just don't know if it goes on anymore. Do you guys? You know, I think there are. I mean, we, we have parents in my district, right? Once they figured out what was going on with social emotional learning and I started uncovering what was going on with Second Step, which is the most widely used one in the nation, we had a whole coalition of parents. And now, yes, we we text each other. Hey, did your kid come? You know, what teacher does your kid have? And oh, what did, what did they talk about in school? So I think there are. And on a national level now, there are groups like Moms for Liberty, um, which ha- are creating coalitions of parents in every state that are really linked in and talking to each other. So I think it's important what you said, Bob, that that happens and that we are sharing information uh, because that's the thing. A lot of these things go on in secret and we need to shine light on them. Absolutely right. Jack, do you talk to other parents of, of uh, you know, about what your daughter brings home in theirs? 
Absolutely. I'm a helicopter parent. 100%. (laughs) I am. uh, (laughs) I'm super protect. I'm not overprotective. I'm just aware. I'm astute and uh, I make sure that I vet what goes, what goes on. So absolutely. Yeah. And like I said, it's one thing to ask your kid over dinner, which I totally agree with Lisa, but you got to find out what the other kids are telling their parents because sometimes you just might not have the full story yet. So Lisa Logan, uh, terrific. What's the uh, YouTube channel again? It's called parents of Patriots. And you can also find me at I am Lisa Logan on Twitter. Awesome. Lisa, thank you for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks, Lisa. There is Lisa Logan uh, did a tremendous job of, uh, and and by the way, the explanation she gave as articulate and wonderful as it was, does nothing compared to the writing. You've got to read it. Go to the uh, Ohio Press Network page and read. It's a four-part series on SEL, social emotional learning. And moreover, share it. Uh, print it, do do whatever you have to do. Share it with some of those other parents that we talked about before, because again, they just might not be uh, as aware or astute as Jack just said of what is going on. And Lisa did a great job of showing that. So, all right, uh, Jack. So we spent about three quarters of the program program now talking about that. The last 15 minutes mm-hmm. we can use to trash the coup of 22. Uh, <laughs> uh, because uh, the, the, the stuff that happened yesterday, you started, you know, we, we led into it, you know, for the first three minutes of the broadcast or our pro- podcast tonight, but you covered this by, by, uh, very, very closely watching this on the Ohio channel while I was doing all kinds of radio and TV stuff yesterday. So I want to know, and I, I talked to Phil Plummer today, so I know a little bit representative Plummer from district 39, I think, uh, uh, uh down by Dayton. He was the one yesterday who made the headlines of anybody, everybody else who was covering this um, by saying that Jason Stevens should resign. I had him on my radio program today, whkradio.com. If you uh, if you're not in the listing area, Northeast Ohio, whkradio.com, you can listen live 9 a.m. to noon. And Phil Plummer said the reason he needs to resign is because he is running things literally just two weeks into having the job, uh, you know, since uh, January 3rd. Uh, he's running things like a dictator not allowing anybody to be heard, not allowing anybody else's amendments to be considered, just pushing things through as if no one else is there but him. How somebody who has, Jack, such a small minority of the Republican caucus on his side and only a majority over the entire House because of the presence of 33 Democrats who are manipulating him, how he can have so much confidence that he can run things as if he is the, uh, you know, uh, the the all-knowing, all-powerful Oz here is simply staggering to me. So you covered it yesterday. You have the ins and outs. Give us the give us the lowdown. Yeah, so there's a lot to unpack here. So I'm gonna I'm gonna kind of need to make sure that you're walking beside me and directing me down this path because you know me, I get I get way off in the weeds, and I'm talking about things that uh, make sometimes our viewers' eyes gloss over. But you know, no, the long I'll jerk sh- your leash. <laughs> the long and short of it is this: um, first of all, we, it, you, you, we have to remind everybody that Jason Stevens was elected by 22 Republicans, and 45 Republicans did not vote for him. Uh, 32 Democrats did. And Bob, I mentioned this to you earlier today. I was watching Lincoln with Whitney over the past couple of days. And it really struck me. It's by the way, it's, it's a movie that's fantastically made and it, it's, you know, that 1865 period, the 13th amendment. Daniel and, Day Lewis, right? Daniel Day Lewis was, was Lincoln. Uh, yeah, I believe that's right. Phenomenal, I'm terrible by the way. I, I'm, I'm terrible at actors and actresses. I just, okay. I'm terrible just to be totally blunt. But I love the movie. Uh, I'm a, I'm a big Lincoln guy. Um, but I digress. So 
Um, the whole point was, you know, when you watch it and you realize that even in 1865, all of the log rolling, all of the vote getting, all the cajoling, all the money, all the stuff, right? All the promises behind the scenes to get something over the finish line. It's just funny to me <laughs> that when you think uh, 32 Democrats just out of the goodness mm -hmm. of their heart voted for Jason Stevens. No, they didn't. No, they didn't. I haven't I haven't talked to a Republican outside of the 22 who says um, there was no deal. In fact, the Democrats even allude to that fact that the, the uh, minority leader has said multiple times. Yeah, we had conversations and, um, you know, they knew what we wanted and we felt that Jason was going to give us the things that we wanted more than Derek. So, um, you know, that's kind of the premise. And but when you so when you think about it, you would think, all right, is he. Um, and, and one of the reasons that these folks gave was, you know, he's going to be a leader. He's, he's going to listen. That's not what happened yesterday. But keep in mind, um, you know, he had the Democrats. If you uh, if my sources are correct, um, he has labor unions. He has nursing homes and he has big lobbying firms behind him. And so I think he feels pretty invincible now. And that's purely how he acted yesterday. Um, there were 35 to 45 members, depending on you know how you slice it, who were represented by a couple who literally stood up and said, hey, I want to offer an amendment. And Stevens didn't allow him to do it. Uh, they had about eight, maybe 10 rule changes that they were going to offer up. And uh, you know he didn't didn't allow it. Uh, they were going to try to uh, allow Phil Plummer to replace uh, John Cross didn't allow it. Um, they were going to uh, try to allow Jamie Callender to replace Bill Seitz. And, and by the way, uh, Speaker Pro Tem is Scott Olslanger. Uh, let me make sure I get that right because Bill Seitz corrected me. He's like, why do you always call him Olslanger? And I'm like, okay, so what is it? Scott Olslanger, uh, Majority Floor Leader Bill Seitz, Assistant Majority Floor Leader John Cross, Majority Whip James Hoops, Assistant Majority Whip Susan Ray. So they were going to offer up um, Jamie Callender for uh, John Cross to replace him. And, and he wouldn't listen to him. He, he, he would have nothing to do with it. Um, and what they did, they being the people. Who let me let me jump in here for a second, because yeah. because you are chasing for a little bit here. Um, this is the answer to the question that we, we asked Marilyn John on our last mm -hmm. episode of Talking Smack. And I asked her, will you be able to work with these people? Will you on the Marin 45 be able to work with the Stevens 22 on the on the on the House side? or excuse me, on the Republican side in the caucus, not to mention, you know, with the Democrats. And, you know, she said she didn't know, and she hoped so. She hoped they would be amenable to that. But, uh, and I said, will you, or do you think predictively that the 22 would be more likely to be trying to mend fences with you guys or uh, really build their burgeoning partnership with the Democrats? And just two days later, Jack, we have the answer. We know now. The answer is we're going with the Democrats. I mean, it would be one thing for Jason Stevens to run that rules uh, 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 package vote and let everybody who's got an amendment to offer, offer it and say, okay, thank you. We'll take it under consideration. Thank you. Thank you. Make him look, make himself look even pretend, put on a costume of a unifier that wants to make sure that the Republican caucus is still strong and then say, okay, we decided against all of those things. The rules package is, is going through as, as uh, presented, but to not even allow it and, and feign an interest in some other idea other than his own or the Democrats to, to not even 
put on the facade and just say, screw you. You don't get to talk. Screw you. You don't get to talk. Hey, you freshman, Josh Williams, you don't get to talk. I don't want to hear your idea. I don't want to hear your amendment. All right. All in favor of the rules package. Uh, yay. They got it because again, of their partnership with the Democrats. Now we know the answer, Jack, this is not mm -hmm. going to be repaired. There no. isn't going to be any, uh, you know, meeting of the minds and a little apology here, a little bit of a, you know, mea culpa there. And, hey, we're all still Republicans. Let's do this thing together. It's not happening. There is no. enmity there now. And I think that is a disaster. Go ahead. I, I'm actually going to correct the record. It is happening. There is unity and there is leadership. There is unity between the 22 and the Democrats. Mm -hmm. And there is leadership by a Republican speaker on behalf of the Democrats. Who was sworn in? Who was sworn in by the leader of the Democrats? So you know, yep, Alison Russo held, held the Bible. So. so a couple of key things. Um, you know, we could talk through some of the rule changes, and and, and I don't know if we will, but I, I want to hit a couple of them because um, Stevens' group basically said, "Look, we didn't need to consider these things." But I, before we get to that, what I want to point out is um, to the point of unity and leadership and basically being aligned with Democrats more than Republicans. Um, so part of the rules that were that were changed is previously the power was vested in the speaker to appoint, uh, you know, committee assignments for, you know, the minority party. Well, not anymore. Um, that now rests with minority leader Allison Russo. Um, and so House committees, um, uh, she, she'll be able to appoint. She, she can she can do that. And then the uh, Rules and Reference Committee, which, by the way, is the committee that really uh, has a ton of power with respect to what comes to the floor uh, and what doesn't, uh, they'll be empowered to recall bills stuck in committee and reassign them elsewhere. So essentially, that gives Jason Stevens an end around. Uh, if there are some committee chairs who, who don't want to do something or do want to do something, he's going to be able to use that rules and reference committee essentially to bully. And so, um, I mean, it's, it's incredible. I, and more than, more than the rules, it's how the conduct, how he conducted the session yesterday was unbelievable. Yeah. Like a dictator, as Plummer said, that's why he said he's got to go. It's very, very clear. He's not interested in working with the team. He's not interested in working with the, you know, majority of his caucus, which by the way, elected, uh, uh, elected uh, Derek Marin uh, to to lead the caucus and elected uh, uh, Phil Plummer as as his second, um, you know, to to kick them to the curb and, and run it as as a one man show is is simply staggering. And what I want to hit here, Jack, because I asked you about this on the radio today, and I asked Phil Plummer about it too, is which is the most dangerous, I guess, or most concerning piece of legislation that had conservatives very, very excited about when Derek Maron was named the speaker-elect because we thought, mm -hmm. wow, Derek Maron is going to push these through. 67-member majority, uh, still a super majority in the Senate, even lefty uh, the lefty tyrant, little Napoleonic Mike DeWine, who doesn't really like the Republican Party, despite the R after his name, even he wouldn't be able to veto these very important pieces of legislation. And so now that we know we're not getting them, and now we know that some of them were surrendered to the Democrats in the negotiation to get Jason Stevens uh, the gavel, what is most concerning to you, Jack? And and I'll throw, I'm going to talk to Brian Stewart tomorrow. He's the one responsible for the HJR 6 uh, uh, bill that would, of course, change the Ohio Constitution and require a 60% uh, uh, majority uh, to, to amend the Constitution. There's that, and then there's the issue of redistricting. Uh, mm -hmm. Jason Stevens gave away more redistricting power and authority on the, the commission to the Democrats. Um, mm -hmm. and, and Phil Plummer said, if and when this state goes blue 
at some point in the near or distant future, we will look back at this day, this moment is when it started. Because they're they're going to be able to draw lines. He pointed out Michigan as an example, which used to be a very favorably red drawn uh, district uh, state, and and uh, they let the Democrats onto the committee more than they should have anyway. They redo drew the districts and look at look at what Michigan is now. Uh, and so if this comes to pass, you know that might be the biggest concern of backpack bill, school choice, uh, you know constitutional amendments, all of it. It might pale in comparison to the first step toward giving Democrats more power than Republicans have in this state. It's a staggering thing to think about. It is. I would argue that this began before uh, January 3rd. Um, we we wrote a piece. It was an editorial several, several months back. And we talked about how Ohio was going to uh, pivot or transition from a, a red state to a blue state. And, and maybe that'll be a treat on our next show. Maybe we'll go through some of those pieces. Um, but there are some key pieces, right? You you mentioned one of them, redistricting. That's important because that will determine um, congressional maps uh, for uh, the U.S. House. It yep. will it will determine districts for the Ohio State House and the Ohio Senate. And those yep. things are important because legislation matters. Uh, there's also the backpack bill, or what what you would call education choice. So giving parents the opportunity to get their kids out of underperforming, or in some cases woke, politically active schools and, and into something else. Um, and by the way, education in this state is, uh, in, in some ways, is is absolutely um, a disaster. It's abysmal. It's abysmal. It, it's it's, it's performance wise, performance wise. Uh, you know, in, in addition to the the wokeness and and so much more. That's why we were talking, of course, to Lisa before. Uh, and, and for those who don't know, there are a certain amount of dollars allocated in the Ohio state budget for every student in the state to educate that student. All the backpack bill does is it says, let's throw those dollars into a backpack and let him take those dollars wherever he or she wants to go, or the parent right. wants them to go. They shouldn't be trapped in a bad school by virtue of the zip code they happen to reside in. That's trash that needs to change. And now the Democrats are going to have the ability to stop that. Yes, they are. And, and well, they're going to have the ability to stop it because the, the Republican speaker is going to sit on it. And we'll talk about how he's going to do that in a second. But the, the other key piece is that they're going to allow Democrats to cram things into the budget. We have, you know, the budget coming up uh, that they'll have to dicker with and figure out um, not only spending, but oftentimes things get thrown into that budget because representatives don't want to go on camera when the Ohio channel is recording and have a debate and dialogue about a certain thing. They just throw it into the budget and, uh, you know, away it goes. So the the one agreement is they're going to allow Democrats to cram some stuff into the budget and, and pass it kind of, you know, in the darkness of the night. And then the final piece is this, it was House Joint Resolution 6. I think it's now House Joint Resolution 1. And what that does is that increases the threshold to pass a constitutional amendment from 50% to 60%. So of all of those things, Bob, and, and the one that the one that concerns me the most is HJR1. Um, I talked with uh, Bill Seitz last night, and you know, he said um, we were we were actually discussing one of the rules that the Marin people proposed was to offer a um, discharge petition at 32 votes, meaning if 32 members of the House, and, and right now it has to be a majority of the full number of the House, but if 32 members of the House want to get a bill to the floor for debate and discussion and maybe a vote, then they can you know sign a dis discharge position now or petition. That's important. Scott Wiggum talked to me today, said, Jack, I did that because the Democrats for years have said, we can't even get meaningful legislation out of committee and onto the floor because we don't have enough votes. And he said, 
said, okay, so if this is about unity, if this is about collaborating, if this is about hearing them, then let's get, well, no, they didn't want to do it. And here's what Bill Seitz said to me. And I thought it was really interesting. He said, um, because we were talking about that in, in relation to all these other things. And he said, well, it's interesting to me that they want 32. And this is a group of people who, you know, they want to, they want a 60%, uh, you know, amendment, to, to pass a constitutional amendment, but they only want 32 to, to get it out of committee. And I said, well, Bill, the uh, constitution's different than legislation. Legislation is designed to be easier to pass because that is, that's how the people speak is through their representatives and, exactly. and of course through their senators. Um, but it was interesting. So um, to me, that matters. The, the, the U.S. constitution, it takes 66% of both chambers of Congress to uh, pass that amendment. And then the states, 75% of them. So 38 states have to approve that amendment in order for it to be ratified. And in Ohio, we're sitting here at 50%. Why is yeah, that dangerous? Let me, tell you, let me tell you why it's dangerous. And then I'm going to shut up. But you and I both covered what happened after the Dobbs decision. And what we heard was disgusting. The Dobbs decision did not outlaw abortion, but that's all we heard. What the Dobbs decision said was, this is a state's rights issue. But whether it was the the bonehead and uh, you know his savant in in as the press secretary in the White House, you know all the way down through these corporate media outlets talked about well this is it's outlawing abortion. So that's the problem. There are there are well funded organizations that will come into Ohio and you'll see it now. They are going to propose an abortion amendment and they're going to half truth it. They're going to do great marketing. They're going to spend a ton of money and they'll get fifty percent of Ohioans to pass it. They wouldn't get sixty. Uh, I've talked to people who've seen the numbers. So the, right. the you know the amendment, and it's not even about the abortion thing. It's about allowing special interests to come in and fundamentally change a, a document that should not be changed often when they could do it through legislation, but they won't because they don't have the support in the state house to do it. Well, it, it's about that. And it's about the abortion thing. Don't, don't discount that. You point, you point that, I mean, what, I don't know what's more important than the right to life. Kamala Harris might not believe in the right to life before liberty and the pursuit of happiness, as she said at the pro-death march in Washington. But we do believe in the right to life. The conservative majority in this state believes in the right to life. The conservative Republican caucus believes in the right to life. And to surrender that aspect of it uh, in allowing an abortion bill to pass, which will allow it almost uh, until, until, you know, the moment of birth, uh, depending on what they try try to propose to get that passed with only 50% is, is, uh, it's staggering. So, uh, that's going to do it. By the way, when you talk to Bill Seitz, uh, real quick, did he talk of talk out of just one side of his mouth or both? The part that really, really made me laugh is when he was talking about, you know, 32 people to get, to get a piece of legislation onto the floor. Oh my goodness. That's not even a majority. And I said, okay, then explain Jason Stevens. There you go. There's 22. <laughs> I haven't talked to any of the gang of 22 yet that will speak directly. They all speak out of both sides of their mouth. They're trying to cover their A with an indefensible argument, uh, and it just makes things look even worse. So I look forward to an opportunity to talk to people like Bill Seitz on this podcast. Uh, Jay Edwards, where are you? Jay Edwards was scheduled to come on with us tonight, suddenly went into ghost mode for the la latter part of the day, so we couldn't reach Jay Edwards. Jay, Bueller. if you're proud Bueller. of what you're Bueller. if you're proud proud of what you and your other 21 colleagues did, you should be courageous enough to come on the air and defend it. Come onto our podcast and defend it. I don't know what you'd be afraid of. Who are we? All we're going to do is ask you questions for which you have no answer. And maybe I just answered my own question. That's going to do it for this episode of Talk and Smack. I'm Bob. And I'm Jack. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone.